Hello, and welcome to MGMA Small Talk, where we discuss issues facing practice administrators across the healthcare world. I'm Shannon Geis, staff writer and editor at MGMA, and today I'm speaking with Pamela Ballou-Nelson, a senior consultant with MGMA Healthcare Consulting Group. Pamela has 30 years of healthcare experience and has a doctorate in public health. She's here with us today to talk about how to improve patient activation at your organization. Welcome. Thanks, Shannon. Uh, First of all, I want to start out to really just kind of share why I think patient activation is such a critical uh, issue for us today. I think as we move into value-based payment models and we take a look at the intersection of value, which is cost and outcomes, we begin to realize that the patient, the client, the consumer themselves have to have some stake in this game in order for us to see those improved outcomes. Now, we want to start with the definition because patient activation is a bit different than engagement and compliance. Activation is one that has knowledge, skill, and confidence to manage their health and health care in illness and wellness. When we talk about a c- compliance, we're looking at a person who follows whatever it is we say. When we're looking at engagement, we're looking at a person who shows up, who's attentive, but activation is one that has knowledge, skill, and confidence. And this is critical for us today as we move into population health as well, because bending the cost curve is going to require that the consumer is able to manage their health care to prevent a lot of the diabetes, type 2 diabetes that we see today, the cardiovascular disease, and the other chronic conditions that are highly dependent upon our behaviors. Now, one of the things that we've done for a long time in healthcare is we've put in our charts whether a patient is compliant or non-compliant. And I think it's time for us to really step back and take a look at that because we cannot really uh, scientifically decide if a person is compliant or non-compliant. And I think now with the evidence that we have through the patient activation measure, which is a survey tool that I'm gonna explain to you here in a little bit, we can determine at what level is a patient's ability to follow the instructions and to have some input and and, uh, see better outcomes from their care. So the patient activation measure or PAM score was developed by Dr. Judith Hibbert at the University of Oregon. Dr. Hibbert is still involved in public health research today and very active with over 300 peer review studies. And these studies indicate that the PAM survey, which she created, will accurately determine at what level between level one and four, a patient's self-management ability or their activation level is located. What we find from all these peer review studies, and this is across all cultures and all socioeconomic statuses, ages, and genders, we find that highly activated individuals are more likely to engage in positive health behaviors and therefore to have better health outcomes. Activation is also linked with better care experiences. Patient satisfaction scores are also higher when the individual is more activated. I think one of the... uh, most fascinating studies that I've looked at is one that ARP put out. And we see that the less activated patient is 28% more likely to be readmitted to the hospital within 38 days of discharge. The lower activated patient is 35.8% 
more likely to experience a medical error. 41.8% of low-activated patients have poor care coordination between the healthcare providers. And almost 50% of low-activated patients suffer a health consequence because of poor communication among uh, their providers. And this one is really astounding to me. Over 60% of patients that are low-activated will lose confidence in the healthcare system. And when we think about what does that mean for us at the practice level, I think one of the things that we have to come to realize is that over the years, and I've worked in healthcare, I have a nursing background, I've worked in healthcare for over 30 years at the physician practice level, both with health systems and independent practices, is that we have a very standard and consistent way in which we uh, interact with patients. It's usually the same, everyone the same. What patient activation shows us is that there are four, four levels of activation that have been proven out over these 300 uh, and, and climbing uh, peer review research projects, the patients are at different levels. And therefore, we must, at the practice, understand the level that our patients are at with their self-management skills and teach and talk and work with patients at that level. That is very critical for us. A less activated patient is one that's going to more likely say, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't really change my health care. They often have little knowledge, little skill, and no confidence. They might say, I'd rather not think about my health. These patients need to be supported and helped in a very different way than a patient who feels more confident about managing their health. Less activated patients are more likely to be passive in the medical encounter. They're less likely to ask questions and offer information. So when you think about that uh, statistics that I just shared with you, and you look at the uh, opportunity for medical errors to occur and, and hence lawsuits when you have low activated patients, it's because they don't ask questions to make sure that they really understand. And these are the patients that we may say, do you understand you know, what was just said to you? And of course, they're going to nod their head and say yes, because they don't want to look like they don't understand. But in reality, they don't understand. So they have a greater chance of having medical errors, have poor uh, communication between providers. I worked with a group, uh, a physician who was having some difficulty with her congestive heart failure patients. They were going to the emergency room. They were being readmitted to the hospital. And she felt very frustrated. And the patients, patients loved her. They thought, they thought the world of her. But she couldn't understand why they just didn't seem to catch on. So we, we went through all of her, her congestive heart failure patients and did a PAM uh, assessment survey and discovered that she had a lot of very low level one and two. So the, the PAM score is based on, on levels of one up to, up to four. She had a very low level of patient activation. So we then, uh, and this was very helpful to the staff to know this, by the way, because they then were taught, how do I interact with a person who's at a lower level on the activation scale versus one who's at a three or a four? This gave the staff some feeling of, of empowerment to know how to deal with the patients. And we brought the patients in and their caregivers in. We did some groups. We did home visits. We knew that some of them without the knowledge and skill could not even determine when they were getting into trouble with their congestive heart failure. We made sure that the patients had scales and a whole host of things that we were able to uh, access for those patients at that level and made a dramatic difference in a year um, 
with the patients that were congestive heart failure in their readmissions and their ED visits. But I think the most important and exciting thing for me in this uh, experiment and this exercise that we did with this physician's um, patients is the empowerment that the patients felt. The patients now felt like they had some knowledge and skill, that they could make some decisions about their health care. They truly did not understand. They truly did not know. And even though the physician felt like she was telling them, they just did not have that knowledge, skill, and confidence to be able to make those decisions. So it was exciting to see the patients feel empowered that they could make a difference in their health care. And I think that's a real important piece. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in that. And I'd like to um, explore um, that a little bit more. In particular, um, if, if you're dealing with um, patients that are not being activated or not feeling um, empowered, um, how do you address that with physicians who might feel like they are telling their patients what to do and they don't see that their patients are maybe not understanding or not, um, you know, activated and able to take on the, those, um, whatever, you know. New skills. New skills. No, I think that's a very good question, Shannon, because I think that all clinicians, just as this one that I just shared, felt like they were telling their patients. What I think the physicians and all of us in the healthcare field in our practices, we have to start seeing patients through a new lens, and we have to start seeing healthcare through a new lens. Once you begin to understand that there are different activation levels, and then we also teach, uh, when, we, when we look at patient activation, we teach how to coach for activation. So what we realize is that many of the behaviors that we are asking of people are only done by those with the highest level of activation. So once your staff and once the physicians, the clinicians in the office begin to understand the difference between the activation levels and how to coach or teach to those activation levels, you then begin to see progress with your patients. Because when we focus on the more complex and difficult behaviors, we discourage the least activated people. So we want to start with behaviors that are more feasible for patients to take on so we can increase the individual's opportunity to experience success. So when we tell a person to stop smoking, uh, for a very low activated person, that's a very overwhelming task. And quite often, they have had repeated failures at stopping to smoke. But when we say to that person, let's try to eliminate one cigarette a day, do you think you can do that? Uh, and then, you know, we have that experience and accomplishment scale, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how successful do you think that you can be to at least take one cigarette a day away from, from your, uh, your daily routine? And if the person says, well, you know, I think I can, I can, can do that. That's an eight or a nine on the scale. If they feel it's a one or two, then we have to go back and say, you know, wh what do you think is going to keep you from at least reaching a seven level of, of assurance? So I think there are various ways that we have to learn how to talk to patients and how to involve patients in their care. It sounds like um, what you're suggesting is that there needs to be a more back and forth kind of conversation with patients. Is that correct? Yes. And, and you know, I get, uh, because we work, MGMA works with a lot of practices and small health systems today, uh, implementing the PAM survey and, and teaching staff on coaching for activation. We have a, a business partnership with Insignia because this, this is a proprietary tool, but MGMA has a business relationship with Insignia to be able to uh, have 
small practices and small health systems purchase from MGMA at a much lower uh, and reasonable price for them. What what we do is go in and try to teach the staff. You know, once once you have a person's activation level uh, in their chart, we begin then to look at our messaging, because a lot of people feel like, okay, this is just one more thing I have to do. And you know, as we're looking at moving into value based uh, healthcare and transformation in healthcare in America, I see a lot of practices feel like oh, we just have way too much stuff to do, and this is one more thing. What I what I two things I say to practices on that is first of all, I'm asking you to swap out messaging, what you are already saying to your patient. Let's swap out with some more meaningful terms and some more appropriate terms for the patient. And yes, it is is important. I have another example I gave you, and this was a woman who was. Uh, very severe type 2 diabetes, her hemoglobin A1C was just out of control. She didn't seem to um, understand or, or, according to the physician, care about uh, that, the level of her diabetes. And, and one day the MA said to her, you know, what, what's important to you? What, what are you feeling is important? And the patient said, I can't paint my toenails. Now, most of us in healthcare, myself included, for 30-some years who, you know, I was in the compliance mode myself many years ago, would, would not take too kindly to that conversation, probably wouldn't even have a patient that would feel comfortable saying that. But what that MA did is she said to her, oh, okay, bring in your nail polish and I'll paint your nails. Over the course of six months of monthly painting this gal's nails, the MA, she, she had an intentional plan, which is not just to paint her nails, but over the course of that six months, she was able to help that person understand the definition of the hemoglobin A1C and why it was important and why it could not stay at an 18 level. The patient did not know that. And she'd been a diabetic for many years. And in her mind, she did not know what that meant on her hemoglobin A1C. So the MA was able to help her understand that, see the significance of it, get her started on a diabetic diet for the first time in years just as a result of starting with something that was really important for the patient. We have patients with a lot of comorbid conditions. Need to add, and they sometimes, we encourage them to bring their list in, but what is it that we're going to talk about today? What is important to you? We have this whole list of things that we feel are important for the patients, and we like to dump it on the patient. This is what all you need to do. You need to stop smoking. You need to exercise. You need to lose weight. You need to eat better. You need to ha stop having stress. Uh, but that's not that may relieve us because we can chart in the chart that we've said all those things, but it's not helping the patient achieve those goals. So there needs to be that dialogue there and rephrasing and remessaging of our of our uh, messages to patients. That's great. And one of the things that you you mentioned in that um, example is the role of the MA. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how um, how you incorporate other members of the staff or other clinicians um, or clinical staff into this process? Okay, that's another very good question because that's one of the unique differences of MGMA. Uh, inst there are instrument way of bringing the PAM and activation measure and coaching into the practice is that we want to involve everyone in the practice. Because again, it's not just the care manager that should be helping the patient understand all of these issues, but there needs to be a consistent message throughout the entire practice so that the front desk knows if this person calls and they're a low activated patient, no matter what they say, I may need to get these people in. If that person leaves the office, you know that you're going to make sure they have a ride to the next appointment, that you've made the next appointment, because the likelihood of them making that appointment or any other appointment once they leave is very low. 
Whereas a highly activated person, your resource, your resources get shifted around. So the MA's messaging as she's vitaling the patient or in, uh, bringing the patient into the room and rooming that patient, there are messages that she is going to share in that will be consistently uh, distributed throughout the entire staff. And I think it's very helpful for the staff because one of the things that we know is that when activation activation changes, and it's not static, activation levels can change, and when they change, multiple behaviors change in the same direction. And the least activated, of course, will gain the most when appropriately supported. And some clinicians are better at supporting self-management than others. Uh, you mentioned earlier about what do we do in our in the practices and how we help the clinicians. There are some that as I go across the country and, and teach patient activation and coaching for activation, uh, we have another survey tool that we use, and that's called the CSPAM, and that's the Clinician Survey, where we test the clinicians and the staff and the practice to see how ready are they to see patient self-manage. Because we find still a lot of the clinicians and staff in the office either do not understand or maybe do not agree with the concept of self-management. And, and so that is a piece that we can test and work with the uh, staff as well. Because when you, when you think about it, now I hear all the time from clinicians that, that this value-based payment for outcomes is unfair because, and they will always throw out this term to me, what do I do with the non-compliant patient? Why should I be held responsible? And the issue again is let's get rid of this comp word compliance and non-compliant. Let's look, let's look at the patient from activation and what is it that we need to do to try to help move these patients along the activation uh, scale. And I think this is important for the payers. It is important for payers to know that if we have an entire practice of level one and two activation patients, that we're trying to, we're trying to do something to help these patients self-manage because they know, the, the payers know that patients have to be involved in self-management and that they have to take some responsibility. But we need to be able to document in a very evidence-based way because that will also help our reimbursement. I, I foresee in the future where it's going to really impact our reimbursement to know the activation level of our patients, as it should, as it, as it should. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, um, you know, what we see through the literature is that uh, less activated patients have a much higher health care cost. So after controlling for demographics and health status, it's almost $2,000 per patient annual cost differential between those patients who are at the high activation and those who are at the low activation. That represents almost a 31% difference. And the statistics now show that the, the bulk of our costs and the bulk of utilization in healthcare occurs at that lowest one and two activation level. So what just think what we can do with bending this cost curve and outcome if we could really refocus our thoughts on patients' activation, uh, behavioral issues toward health, uh, rather than just looking at it as a disease entity. And, and this is a critical piece as we move into value-based and as we move into population health. Definitely. Um, I think you've made a really uh, great case for why this is something that um, the practices should be thinking about and should really be looking at. Um, what are some of the, um, maybe some of the tips, some, some easy tips that you can give for people to start 
who are just dipping their toe into this or trying to figure out, you know, how to really approach this with their practice? So I think the first thing is, is we need to get rid of the terms compliance and non-compliance from our, our um, vocabulary. And we certainly shouldn't, should not be documenting them because it, it is very discriminatory and, and, um, and, and divisive in some ways. But I think the second thing is, is we need to begin to realize that we cannot approach every person the same. When you hand a very low activated patient a wad of paper that they're supposed to take home and read, um, that's not happening. And, and so the information that you hope that that patient is going to uh, gain from, from that big stack of paper is not going to happen. Oftentimes it's left, left in the waiting room and, you know, you shrug your shoulder and say, mm, and you make your determination at that point. Um, so, so I think, again, not looking at patients in terms of compliance or noncompliance realizing that we have to approach patients differently depending upon their activation level. I think it's important, you know, to to measure, you know, we're into collecting data and measuring everything today. And that's why I think the patient activation measure, it's it's 10 questions. It's very quick. Um, but I, I think it's a good tool to try to help us validate uh, and stratify our patients. It's a great stratification tool as well. And then I, I think a lot of it is just changing our own theoretical framework. You know, how, how do we view health and healthcare and patients today? Um, I think that's, that's a big thing that we, we have to start. Is, and that's what we try to do when we, when we administer the CSPAM is we try to help the practices or the health system understand where are we at today in our own theoretical framework, our own mindset, our own belief systems. Because until we can put those implicit um, theoretical frameworks out on the table and make them explicit, it's very hard for us to change. And and I think it's very important when I go into practice if a physician tells me, I think this is a bunch of you know what, I say, that's great. I'm glad that you could articulate that because until you can actually put that out on the table and begin to discuss that, change doesn't occur. Sure. Does that make sense? Um, and what do you see as some of the biggest challenges um, or hurdles in, in implementing um, these sort of practices and behaviors in order to encourage patient activation. Yes, we, we are creatures of habit in healthcare. I think we probably all are, period. But we have a workflow that is set in stone. Maybe we have not evaluated that workflow forever. When I go into practices for practice assessment, one of the things I will ask them all the time, why do you do this? Well, I don't know. It's because we've always done it. And so I think part of the reason why practices are feeling so burdened and so overloaded today is they keep adding to their plate, but they're never giving up anything. So I think it's very difficult to sit down and really evaluate your workflow and say, why do we do this? Who does this? Who needs to do this? So breaking our habits of, of our workflow that we currently have, being willing to evaluate that workflow so that we can have time to, you know, to make some changes and put some new things into place. So I, I think that's one of the biggest barriers is, is our, our habit of how we do, how we do things in healthcare. Yeah. Um, I think that's, an easy problem for many people in general, <laughs> for sure. Um, is there anything that you see practices overlooking when it, when they are approaching patient activation? Uh, maybe they've already decided to do this, but there's something that they're often forgetting to address or, or think about. Well, I think that one of the things that we see with practices that um, that are starting in the patient activation is is how how you present the survey. Because the survey, again, is a very sophisticated scientific tool, just 10 questions, but it is uh, very well developed. And, and so the ability to 
feel comfortable about administering the survey and knowing what your reason for administering the survey transfers over to the patient. If the patient wants to make you look good or you make it feel like this is one another one of those surveys that, that I want you to score well on because you're going to make me look good. You know how when you go every place today, they're always wanting to give you a satisfaction survey. You know, I did a good job for you here. Put it down on the paper. So I, I think one of the biggest issues um, as we're actually into implementing patient activation is how to uh, not bias the survey tool. You know, patients take their cues from us. And, and even if we're not using a survey tool, if we're trying to ask patients how well they understand something, you know, they, they sense if we're rushed. They sense if, boy, I don't want to look stupid. So I think it's a comfort, the comfort level of, you know, working with, with our patients and, and developing that relationship and that partnership with them uh, that's really important. And, and I know in my own household, my husband was a, was a, a, a low-level one. And, and, you know, when you stop and think about it, that puts a lot of burden on a practice to have a lot of lowly, low activated patients because they put the responsibility back on the practice. You know, my husband said, well, the doctor never mentioned it or the doctor never told me or, you know, that, that doctor, they never, they never say anything. But then when you say, did you ask, did you question did you tell them? The answer is always no. Well, no, they're supposed to because they're the people that know. See, that's the response. And, and so that puts a lot of burden and weight on a practice when you have to remember everything. And we know today that there's a lot to remember in healthcare. You have to, rem- you have to know their insurance, right? You're supposed to know their insurance. You're supposed to know where they're supposed to go to and who they're supposed to go to. Because that's a person who does not have knowledge, skill, and confidence to manage their own health and health care. And so forth, they put that responsibility on you. And that's why our little statistic I, sh- I talked about earlier shows that those people are at greater risk for having errors, for having bad outcomes, for being dissatisfied with the healthcare system, because they put all the responsibility on you. And we don't want to take that responsibility. We want to give that responsibility to them, but we have to do it in such a way that helps move them along that activation scale and gives them hands over to them that self-management in a way that they're able to accept it and carry it. Great. Well, we've covered a lot of really, really wonderful information. I think it's all been very useful. Um, I'm wondering if you have any any additional thoughts or anything else that you want to make sure people who are listening um, get out of this about uh, patient activation. Well, I just think the most important thing is for us to realize that we cannot, in this country, continue the costs, the high costs that we, we have in healthcare, and that people themselves, including each of us individually, uh, not just the patients we serve, but, uh, but us as well, have to look at how activated are we? Where is our own level of knowledge, skill, and confidence to manage health and healthcare, and how responsible are we to manage ourselves? And, and also to be able to, to understand that from, from a patient point of view, to make, to make that switch and that change. I'm more than happy, Shannon, to talk to people that have further questions or if they want to email you or text you and, and uh, want to get on the line with me to talk a little bit more about how we might make this possible uh, for your practice or your health system or talk a little bit more about it. I'd be happy to do that. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, for more information about how to implement patient activation processes in your practice, visit mgma.org slash podcasts. 